Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Hello, everyone, to a new episode of New Books in South Asian Studies. I am your co-host, Ali Mohsen, and today we have the privilege of being joined by Dr. Aisha Siddiqui, who is a university lecturer at Cambridge University and is the author of recently published book, In the Wake of Disaster, Islamists, the State, and a Social Contract in Pakistan that came out with Cambridge University Press a few months back. The book, In the Wake of Disaster, is a fascinating and timely meditation on a number of key issues such as the complexities of social contract, citizenship, state provisions in terms of social protection, and disaster relief, which as the book demonstrates remains central to the political culture in Pakistan. We will unpack many of the key themes and arguments of the book during our conversation today. Hello Aisha, welcome to the New Books Network. Hi Ali and thank you very much for inviting me to speak today about the book and about my work. Um, I'm very pleased to be here, so thanks. It's a pleasure to have you with us today. So the first question uh, is biographical and about your intellectual trajectory. Please tell us a bit about how did you come to undertake the research that eventually became this book? Sure, yeah. So um, I come from a fairly interdisciplinary background, and I think that... uh, in some ways, the book uh, demonstrates that that it isn't uh, very um, strongly uh, trying to push, uh, you know, one disciplinary view on disasters, on citizenship, on social contract, etc. So, uh, from this interdisciplinary uh, background, I um, ended up doing my doctoral work. Um, at the War Studies Department at King's College London and also received some supervision from the Geography Department. And it it was really a mix of, um, you know, understanding uh, social and political uh, conflict and understanding um, climate-related disasters that resulted in, um, you know, the key questions, the primary issues that uh, the book discusses. And then uh, finally, in terms of um, the academic and intellectual trajectory, I would say that um, the project that became this book was clearly very influenced by um, uh, around the time that uh, I was working on my doctoral thesis in 2010-2011. Uh, they were two kind of critical works that that were published that had a real influence on where I was going because this project was originally uh, going to look at um, at water scarcity and related conflicts in Pakistan because for so long the uh, the concern in Pakistan was around uh, you know not enough water and and the industry were drying up and things like that. Um, so firstly, it was that the that the 2010 and 2011 floods. Um, they were so massive, they were so intense uh, that they changed a lot of, of uh, the, the popular discourse and also changed a lot of my thinking. And then the second thing, coming back to the intellectual trajectory, was that in 2011, um, Anatole Levin's book, A Hard Country, was published, which uh, was quite forceful in the way that it was projecting uh, you know, certain um, narratives around Pakistan's resilience, Pakistan's social milieu, uh, Pakistan's uh, dependence on particular uh, political and social structures. Uh, so, so that was quite influential in the way that I was thinking. Um, and also um, the second book that, that had a real influence in, in, in my thinking was um, by this geographer, Mark Pelling, who was based at King's as well. And his book was was talking about how uh, we shouldn't really be looking uh, for climate change adaptation, but we should be looking at how we can transform systems as a result of, ad- uh, 
of, of climate change and, and, and climate um, events. So those um, kind of that reading that I was doing in the early days of the PhD, uh, coupled with uh, the on the ground reality of the 2010, 2000 floods, uh, 2011 floods in Pakistan, um, really is, is, is what led me to uh, the, the main um, research questions that the book is trying to address. Mm, great. Uh, now moving forward from this, uh, I would also like you to place the research within and along the time-space axis. Uh, please tell us about the immediate context of the research, both in terms of where and when it is situated, and why that context assumed the urgency to explore the questions that are at the heart of the book. Sure. So um, I would say that um, on in terms of time and space, um, that definitely um, the 2010 um, floods in Pakistan were pretty unprecedented. So um, yes, there has been flooding every monsoon season. Yes, you know, certain uh, places in that are in the riverbeds, they experience pretty frequent um you know, disasters, climactic disasters. But in 2010, the scale of the disaster, the uh, intensity of the disaster, the everything was just um, of, a, of a slightly different kind of magnitude. And that did, um, as I mentioned earlier, change the way that uh, instead of thinking about scarcity and, uh, you know, shortage of water and rivers drying up and delta drying up and all of that, we were now um, looking at, at a very different kind of um, uh, problem. So that was definitely there. I think the second thing um, also within this time-space access uh, was that I was quite interested in doing um, an intensive ethnographic study. And so to be intensive rather than extensive over a large kind of, um, uh, you know, country, I wanted to really zone in and, and, and look at a particular region. And in, in, in doing that and being quite clear that I want to, want to use ethnographic tools and explore intensively um, over a long period of time how the disaster has had particular impacts politically, I had to, uh, for myself, um, locate an, uh, a region or a, or a um, space where to which I could do justice. And the minute I started thinking about, you know, where are where can I carefully observe the impacts of these floods, um, to my mind, there was no better place than, um, you know, looking at, at, at Lower Sindh, because not only uh, were the floods very real, very uh, impactful, very definitely impacting people's daily and, and everyday lives, but additionally, there was also this grand narrative about, you know, Sindh being really stooped in uh, the, the feudal lords' um, uh, cultural and social um, milieu and that uh, it's a very, um, uh, it's, it's a place where there is a lot of uh, oppression of these uh, big uh, landlords. And uh, despite the big landlords, we are now seeing uh, Islamist groups making inroads. So these were the kind of prevalent uh, narratives around Sindh. And I thought doing a deep um, ethnographic study uh, in this area on this, this issue would help take me closer to answering some of the questions that I, that I set out in the book. So for the next question... I would like you to tell us uh, what is the central argument of the book that you make and what is the significance of that argument for the larger sociopolitical processes in contemporary Pakistan? Sure. So um, the central argument um, of this book is really about um, deconstructing the social contract in Pakistan. and. I uh, 
do that in in a number of different ways. But I think one that you have also picked up on is that um, I really emphasize uh, understanding the ethnographic or the post-colonial social contract in Pakistan. Because rather than assuming that this state-citizen relationship is missing, the state-citizen relationship broadly known as the social contract, rather than assuming that it's missing or assuming that it is fractured or failed or failing, all of which are um, adjectives that are used to describe the state-citizen relationship in Pakistan, what what, uh, the book is arguing is that uh, it is extremely um, varied, it is extremely nuanced, it is uh, quite relative to who you ask, where you ask, how you ask, and it's really about uh, understanding where this uh, social contract in Pakistan is situated and uh, coming up with the right kinds of tools to uh, talk about it, to assess it, to uh, experience it. And through this, I think that the book is really trying to uh, arrive at what the lived experience of citizenship, of the state, of um, experiencing a state through a disaster lens is. Um, And in that sense, I think uh, the book is also about um, using the disaster as a window to explore some of the political impacts of disasters and, um, you know, the kind of space that they open for various actors, particularly um, in regards to the Islamist question and what kind of uh, space did they open, did did a disaster open for Islamist actors. So um, all of that is really linked to the, the one big umbrella or framework that the book is using, which is around a social contract in Pakistan and what does that really look like? Mm. So my next question is uh, about uh, your ethnographic uh, research experience in the field. Uh, You briefly mentioned there being some skepticism about you and your research project among a few interlocutors in the early phase of your research. How did you manage to overcome those misgivings? And in what ways did it shape your self-presentation and presentation of your research? And how did it, if it did, uh, shape your overall research experience? Um, yes, this is, a, this is a tough question because I think at some point um, every ethnographer uh, has to um, contend with um, you know, uh, the uh, being in the field, being on the ground, and uh, not really uh, necessarily having a, a rule book, but just uh, going with um, you know what what you believe is um, the right way, the the uh, correct way to to move forward with the research, while also keeping, of course, safety, security, um, the well being of uh, the research participants in mind. So uh, what I uh, mention or what I refer to is that uh, if you look, think back at the time that this fieldwork took place, it was uh, um, uh, around 2011, 2012, uh, it it becomes quite, uh, uh, you know, it's going to quickly uh, become quite clear that this was a time when uh, there was a lot going on in Pakistan from the security uh, perspective. Uh, you know, Raymond Davis, uh, the Raymond Davis incident had happened in Lahore where, um, you know, a white American man had shot uh, and killed uh, Pakistani citizens. Um, the The war in Afghanistan was, uh, the invasion of Afghanistan was kind of in full swing. Um, and, 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 and the climate was really one of uh, a lot of distrust, a lot of um, you know, worry am- amongst people that uh, uh, security agencies are everywhere and um, that people who are coming from abroad are essentially coming with with particular agendas. So I was definitely, you know, um, I found myself uh, in the in the midst of, of all of that. And yes, um, in the early days, 
um, when I was doing field work in Badin in particular, where there is quite a significant kind of military presence, um, there were people who um, asked questions like, you know, are you a are you a British agent? Are you here to spy on us? Those sorts of things. And if they didn't directly ask such questions, they still definitely were thinking about that or, um, you know, had questions around it. And they, those questions were put forward to um, either the the um, chaperone that I, I was working with or to, um, you know, uh, other uh, um, gatekeepers who were helping me access um, different communities. That was definitely there. Uh, how I um, overcame this, um, to be honest, I don't know if I would say that I necessarily, uh, you know, overcame it uh, 100% or that it's necessary for a researcher to um, 100% resolve these issues when we're trying to do research in the field. I think um, what I would feel comfortable um, saying is that I... Um, you know, worked within the limitations of of um, this this broader uh, context and the broader politics, and that uh, I was very uh, reflective of its impacts on my research. And I think that that's uh, the best that one can do. So, um, as I say in the book, uh, sometimes people um, were were skeptical. Sometimes people maybe gave me answers that they thought were answers I wanted to hear. Sometimes people gave me answers um, that were a bit guarded or a bit, uh, you know, I, I came up from a place of, of, of slight tension. And I think that all of that um, is part of the ethnographic experience. So I don't think that I fully resolved uh, those issues. And I think um, all I've done in the book is to try and be really honest about the fact that, um, you know, that these uh, were issues that exist. Um, on the other hand, I think what I can say is that, <clears throat> excuse me, being an an, eth- an ethnographer is slightly different to being somebody who goes in to do, um, you know, shorter bouts of, of research. So I was be- like visiting people, meeting them. They were seeing me over a period of uh, seven, eight months, right? So there was time to build relationships, to um, you know, engage with people on more than just one occasion. So I think that our exchange was quite different to if I had only gone in and tried to engage with them over a three, four day period and then left on the fifth day. And I think in some ways, the book is testimony to that. It's testimony to the fact that uh, when you do uh, a different kind of research where you know you're trying to gather a lot of survey data or you're trying to um get a lot of uh questionnaire type answers uh you engage with people in a very different way and i think when you're trying to understand you know what is their context through which they are experiencing the state in this way what is the lived experience of the disaster what is the everyday exchange i think you you approach those questions through a different kind of methodology. And I think that that the book uh, lays bare some of those um, methodological uh, tools and um, engagements with people. Uh, yeah, uh, maybe a bit more about uh, the next question, I think, is also then about uh, what some of these more superficial uh, engagements with Pakistani society uh, maybe get wrong. Yeah. You 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 talk about there being this master narrative of Pakistani state being absent and uh, there being a fractured or even non-existing social contract in the wake of flooding disasters about a decade ago. And consequently, non-state actors, presumably dangerous ones, one might even say, coming to occupy the social and political space. What do you think uh, drives this master narrative peddled by sections of international and national media? And what does it get wrong about the complex state and citizen interactions in the three districts where you carried out the research? Mm. Uh, sure. So 
I think that I would uh, emphasize two things in response to um, your question on this uh, master narrative or grand narrative. And one is, um, I would say, uh, definitely, um, you know, driven by kind of large global, even geopolitical forces. So uh, at the time that I was doing uh, this research, um, as I've kind of alluded to already, but I think um, in response to this question, it's perhaps um, more directly relevant, that it, it was very necessary uh, in 2010, 2011, 2012 at that time for, um, you know, particular foreign policy, security policy um, uh, groups and people uh, in places like DC and uh, London to uh, present Pakistan as this kind of uh, thorn in the, in, in the side of uh, the um, rebuilding of, of, of Afghanistan. So that broad kind of geopolitical narrative was very much that, you know, Pakistan is this failing state that has uh, completely destroyed uh, any kind of, um, you know, peace process or um, any kind of rebuilding of, of, of Afghanistan. And repeatedly, in when uh, because I had the, uh, the uh, opportunity to engage with, um, you know, various policy makers in DC and, and, and in London. And this was the kind of um, narrative that was repeatedly being espoused. And of course, the reports that were coming out were very much reports that were talking about, you know, the the, the country's uh, failing and it's, it's in such bad shape that even after the disaster, uh, it has been unable to, uh, you know, keep control of, of all of its um, uh, regions and there are regions now that are completely in control uh, of the Islamists and you had uh, you know various kinds of uh, reporting that was backing up this this narrative so I think one was definitely has definitely been this kind of big broad geopolitical um, uh, agenda around representing Pakistan and making Pakistan out to be a particular kind of a problem state because it's that's the only way then that um, you know various um, interventions can be justified. The other side of this this uh, coin around how and and why this master narrative is constructed and is so useful um, is that I would look kind of inwards and say that it has a lot to do with the fact that we haven't had a lot of um uh, ethnographic detailed engagement uh you know looking at questions around lived experiences in um particularly parts of pakistan that are not let's say karachi lahore or islamabad that are not the big met- uh, metropolitan cities of of the country so um you know we've we've had um engagement or ethnographic work in in karachi lahore and, and, and Islamabad, but when you begin to uh, look at, you know, when was the last time that uh, a detailed ethno- ethnographic work was done in other areas of Sindh or Punjab or even uh, Khaybar Pakhtunkhwa, you do, you do find quite a gap in, in academic work or academic literature. And I think that um, often those uh, parts of the country are being represented by very impressionistic and very journalistic accounts of 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 what's happening so even in 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 my book i talk about or i i start by kind of um giving readers a bit of a flavor of how the media was talking about uh, you know the the floods and sin at this point so there was a lot of you know the the social contract is broken the state is absent all of these things and the hapless ma- masses in Sindh have nowhere to turn to but to the Islamists. And these were not accounts that were coming out of, you know, six months of research or one year of research. These were accounts that were coming out of, you know, journalists going and speaking to a few people and then and then publishing something. So I think that the 
that the gap in research uh, along with um, you know journalistic accounts um and then the the broader uh, lo- uh, uh, geopolitical um, you know uh, spin that was being put all of this collectively um you know put forward a particular um uh, construction of the pakistani state citizen relationship that has been very very hard to dispel or to um to break free from um and finally um you know what what i think about uh you know how or or, or why this master narrative has gotten things wrong or particularly kind of how it's gotten things wrong there are lots of 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 things and i think some we are going to uh, get into later in this this talk but i think the one that i would like to um i would like to draw out quite specifically is that you know this master narrative is unable to capture nuance so for example i say in my book that when i asked my respondents about you know whose responsibility is it to keep people uh safe uh in 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 times of of a cli- climate related disaster almost unequivocally all of my respondents with the exception of one or two invoked this larger entity the state or or the sarkar that they are the ones from whom we would like to um demand that there is safety during a disaster and that there is provision after a disaster at the same time it was also very clear that while this you know big abstract entity the state uh, exists in people's minds uh when it comes to people's local encounters with the state the the picture is quite different you know there are long queues at the district commissioner's office there are postal orders with checks that fail to reach people there is a lot of kind of day to day uh inadequacies of this of this state so in the day to day exchange that big idea of the state it it fails to live up to to people's expectations and even though it fails to live up to to what people expect at the same time the sarkar is still believed to be omnipresent that it can do anything you know it wills itself to do now this is a very complex kind of uh, relationship that people have on the one hand it's this big omnipresent entity the sarkar on the other hand on in the day to day encounters it regularly kind of um, you know fails to deliver what people are expecting of it um and despite all of this uh that big entity the big abstract entity sarkar it kind of prevails in people's minds and 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 it stays there and uh, to some extent not just me but i think even other anthropologists of the state um in pakistan like martin sofafield or oscar vergaik they have noted that people's expectations of the state in pakistan have often been so big and so large that they cannot be fulfilled by any state kind of anywhere in the world right so uh, we we have a very um, complex complicated uh, relationship understanding lived experience of the state and these kind of sound bites that the state has failed the state is lacking the state is fractured these don't don't capture that very um, nuanced and, and 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 complex relationship Uh, between the state and the citizen particularly in uh, parts of pakistan that are not karachi or lahore or islamabad hmm uh i think closely related to some of these points that you make uh uh in order to capture you know the nuances and the, the complexities of the pakistani state's relationship with uh, with the society uh then is my next point about uh you know you introduce some of some very interesting concepts uh, and categories such as post colonial social contract and you also talk about uh, an ethnographic social contract what uh, what what do they refer to and why do you think they are better and more useful categories to grasp the imaginaries that shape and transform everyday state society relations in pakistan um this is a really um kind of uh, perceptive question and um what that really 
uh, is at the heart of what I'm trying to talk about in the book. Um, and I often um, kind of refer to, in, in the book I've devoted some amount of time, um, you know, tracing and mapping uh, the evolution of even this term, uh, social contract in um, sociology. So it's it's closely uh, linked to European enlightenment of the of the seventeenth, sixteenth, seventeenth century when uh, you know Rousseau or Hobbes or um, any of the enlightenment philosophers were talking about a social contract. There was a very particular kind of um, trajectory that European society followed, and uh, you know a particular uh, move from. Um, having um, uh, being uh, subjects of the monarchy to uh, moving towards um, a more, uh, you know, liberal and um, individual relationship with a wider, a bigger, bigger state. And that whole evolution uh, of that relationship has been really uh, critical to the way that uh, social contract is understood is uh, framed is intellectualized in um, sociology or in uh, political philosophy. And I think that uh, we really run a risk if we try and use that kind of um, you know term with that kind of baggage and we try and we apply it to a post-colonial context, of course, it's going to look like in the post-colonial setting, you know everything is 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 failing because everything is different so in 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 a context like pakistan or even broader south asia you didn't have that kind of um you know societal impetus you didn't have that uh, whole um evolution until only about uh, 70 years ago what you had was uh, you know people who were subjects of uh, the 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 british imperial state so the whole um, uh, history of how the state and the citizen have interacted has been very different. And so it's necessary, really, um, almost imperative to look at the social contract, not from, you know, from a top-down perspective where we take uh, the way that it has been understood and developed in um, political philosophy in, in the West, and apply it to the, the context of Pakistan, but rather that we use a much more bottom-up approach where we, uh, you know, go back to uh, the basics and we ask uh, the citizen themselves, like, what do you think uh, the, the, the state means to you? How do you conceptualize the state? How do you live and experience the state? And there I've, I've found a lot of um, kind of... Uh, resonance uh, in anthropological work. So anthropologists have been looking at, um, you know, what does uh, an anthropology of the state look like and, and what does an ethnographically constructed understanding of the state look like. So um, I think that those are much more uh, useful, um, you know, a much more useful place to start uh, looking at state-citizen relations in Pakistan than trying to look at uh, you know how did how is the way that the European social contract is constructed relevant to Pakistan? Because um, you know the, the short answer to that is it isn't. Through this uh, intensive ethnographic research that you undertook and that eventually became the book in the wake of disaster, Islamists, the state, and the social contract in Pakistan. You contend that since there is no vernacular vocabulary to articulate citizenship in most parts of Pakistan, that lends, you know, itself neatly to more liberal, normative, and Eurocentric understandings. Hence, it uh, necessarily registers as an absence in the structuralist conceptions of Pakistani state and society. Now, with that. Uh, Quite a few questions that come to my mind, and I would like to pose some of them here. What kind of challenges, both at an empirical and conceptual level, does this pose for attempts to capture the articulations of citizenship uh, while doing the fieldwork? And uh, how did you think through some of those challenges, 
both in the process of your ethnographic research and also then while you sat down to write the book. And uh, also, how does that thinking and rethinking of, uh, you know, taken for granted liberal categories enrich our understanding of citizenship and agency in Pakistan? Um, wow, well, yeah, those are, those are a lot of questions, but I'll try my best to, um, to address some of that. And I think um, to address this, I'm, I'm again going to draw directly from something that um, um, an ethnography that I um, cite in the, in the book is one um, uh, that's quite critical to this question that you asked, particularly around articulations of citizenship. That uh, for a long time when I was doing the fieldwork, when I would ask um, uh, respondents about, uh, you know, what do they uh, think the state is, uh, how do they understand the state, etc., I would get very, very kind of crisp, clear, cogent responses. And and people had a very, um, you know, uh, uh, let's say, uh, democratic understanding of uh, the state as being res- being the entity that is re- responsive, that is supposed to be responsive to them, that uh, you know is is beholden to them because uh, you know they went out and they they cast a vote or they went out and they engage with the state and they expect something in return and all of that. So there were some very um, kind of critical key ideas around what the state is that that people articulated and often they were they were fairly uh, you know universal but when i uh, reversed this question and i asked it the other way around and i asked people and what do you think um, you know your responsibilities are as a citizen or what do you think citizenship is or, or, or um, you know that that end not just the responsibility of the state but the other end of this this um, relationship uh, the whole um, exercise would kind of fall um, completely astray because um, I wouldn't get answers that made much sense to me. And they were quite, um, you know, disjointed and unclear and not not giving me anything that, that I could work with. And as I write, it took me quite a few months to understand that because I was talking about uh, or, or speaking to people about, you know, what what is their what do I think their um, responsibilities are as, as, as a shahri? Now, shahri is not really uh, citizenship per se. Citizenship in the way that I was understanding it as somebody who's entirely studied and been, um, you know, intellectualized in this, in this Western tradition. I wanted people to talk about um, rights and entitlements and the whole kind of, you know, normative burden that, that the word citizenship carries on its on its shoulders, but uh, people were not doing any of those things because I was only asking them about what it means to be a shahri, and shahri really just means resident or um, you know living in a particular shahir. It doesn't mean all of those things that citizenship means. So I think recognizing really that we can't talk about uh, all of those. Uh, broader uh, uh, philosophies, concepts, ideas through this one word citizenship and that we need to engage with a whole range of different vernacular, um, you know, uh, vocabularies like uh, the idea of haq, um, rights, and what does this mean for your hakuk, your, your, uh, the plurality of rights. So all of those, um, you know, uh, la- tools within even language and vocabulary need to be available to us if we're going to uh, be serious or if we're going to make a very genuine attempt to uh, unpack some of these post-colonial uh, social contract issues. And I think um, how I uh, went through, um, you know, uh, looking at or or or. Um, addressing some of this is really through a lot of trial and error because in the beginning when um, I was not coming back with any uh, answers on on citizenship, 
um, ethnographically that I could work with, I was also being tempted really to uh, cite all the work that has said, well, actually, there is no citizenship in Pakistan, that actually there is a big gap between state and citizens and uh, you know, citizenship is has failed because for so long uh, in Pakistan there has been no building of of citizens. There's only been building of good Muslims, and uh, you know, it's 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 been a very religiously driven um, civic education, etc. So I was also tempted to to cite and to quote those same studies and say, well, actually there are no citizens. Pakistan is a state without citizens. Um, but it 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 took a long um time uh, many months of work uh, you know a reading and rereading of um you know hundreds of 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 transcripts of my interviews etc of field notes to to arrive at um you know a, a deeper and more uh, nuanced understanding that actually it has a lot to do with how the question is being being posed and framed and then <laughs> i had the time to go back and start asking people more about you know rights and entitlements about haq and hukuk versus asking about what it means to be a shari and then uh, it was possible to get different kinds of 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 responses from them and i think finally in this i will say the same thing that i think is a running theme throughout the book that it's important that we don't use this idealized weberian state model to look at the state in pakistan to look at citizenship in pakistan because that's not how um you know these categories of analysis have have uh, evolved in the context of pakistan they've evolved quite differently they've um meant uh, quite different things to different people at different times and i think understanding that these are not universal that they are very relative relative to uh, people and their circumstances um you know that's what's going to enrich our our understanding of citizenship and agency mm. Mm. i think one of the key arguments that you make in uh, in this book is that uh instead of fracturing uh, the social contract and also the state citizen relations uh, uh, in pakistan uh, these flooding disasters actually Uh, I think one of the key uh, points that you make in the book is that instead of fracturing the social contract uh, uh, in Pakistan, these flooding disasters were actually, in some ways, helpful in uh, eventually advancing uh, the cause of citizenship and social contract in Pakistan. How do you think uh, the disaster uh, becomes a potentially critical juncture and a significant political moment? and 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 then a basis for advancing more progressive forms of citizenship in these uh, three uh, districts in the lower sindh in one word i would say quite accident well two words quite accidentally so um that's the the uh, crux of of what i'm trying to say uh, with regards to the disaster in citizenship um in this work is that uh, the way that uh, citizenship Uh, or particularly progressive forms of citizenship uh, were advanced uh, was really not by design but quite by accident so um, i refer quite uh, specifically to um, you know the uh, post disaster uh, cash intervention that the state instituted in the aftermath of the disaster and that cash intervention was very directly linked to people's citizenship numbers or their citizenship um cards and so what happened is that when i was in the field and when i was talking to people about you know what uh, kind of um post disaster intervention they received from the state people were really conflating this issue like they were saying because we are citizens we are entitled to this because we have this citizenship number because our id card um issued by nadra uh, says that we are we are citizens hence you know this this uh, entitles us to this particular kind of cash uh, intervention and there was this um broad uh, narrative around uh, you know ye to hamara haq hai this is our right 
and uh, that whole discourse um, was very much um, bottom up. So it ha- it was a discourse that had been constructed by uh, the disaster affected people uh, on the ground uh, who were looking at you know being citizens of the state entitles them to particular kinds of uh, state intervention in the aftermath of a disaster. And because they were receiving this cash um, intervention through the the uh, citizenship number, the state was also reinforcing for them that understanding that yes, because you are a st- you are a citizen, and simply because you are a citizen, right? Uh, not because you belong to a particular biradri, not because you know a particularly influential local patron, not because you um, you know belong to a particular group. But really, just because you are a citizen, you are entitled to this form of of, of cash relief, and because of this, um, you know, supply side coming from the state, and this demand driven um, from the people, uh, uh, disc- discursive understanding, um, definitely there was a, a feeling that uh, a more progressive form of, of of citizenship had been pushed along. And, uh, you know, to, to some extent, we've seen this, that uh, a new phase of uh, particularly uh, post-disaster citizenship has um, been launched in, in, in Pakistan, where in the aftermath of a disaster, it's no longer um, possible for the state to just kind of sit ideally back. Right, the state has to now reach out to people, and we've seen this even since the floods. Whenever there have been more localized, smaller scale disasters, the state has to reach out now because it set that that whole um, expectation, that whole um, uh, discursive reality that was constructed in the 2010-2011 floods. So definitely, uh, the that disaster became a kind of critical juncture that helped to move this kind of disaster citizenship forward. Uh, towards the end, perhaps I would like to ask you, um, what do you think is the major takeaway of the book? Maybe a couple of ideas that you want to stay with our audience. Sure. So I think that um, uh, the key ideas that uh, the book is presenting is uh, really trying to dispel some long-standing truths that have for a long time kind of clouded and, um, you know, uh, been responsible for the way that we have um, constructed or understood uh, citizenship and the state in Pakistan. And um, uh, uh, trying to present a new way of looking at the state-citizen relationship and what that means to people and trying to move away from, uh, you know, uh, the more uh, structuralist accounts of patron-client relations and so forth that have uh, a long history of um, being uh, the main way in which uh, state-citizen relationships have been explored uh, in the context of Pakistan and rather moving towards this, you know, individual um, understanding and uh, showing individual agency and so forth. And uh, the second thing is that in in doing this, in exploring the state citizen relationship, um, you know, through this window of 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 disasters, the book is also um, rethinking how disasters um, bring about social transformation and change. Um, you know, because. Uh, uh, contrary to a lot of the uh, the the literature, it, moving away from just the the South Asian context, if we move towards um, the literature in disaster studies or the study of uh, you know climate related uh, uh, extreme events, etc., uh, a lot of the work has really been um, around looking at how uh, disasters create social and political conflict. You know, their limited resources. Um, and they, they create certain forms of, of scarcity and how this results in conflict. And instead, uh, in, in, in the book, I'm demonstrating that the social transformation that came about was not necessarily one uh, that, uh, you know, created 
social conflict there were uh, there there is some some um, mention of that there there were um, you know forms of of conflict that might have emerged but at the same time it was also uh, you know surprisingly able to uh, push progressive ideas of citizenship forward so the disaster can um you know have a, a an impact which goes beyond or which isn't limited to to conflict but can also be um progressive and and related to citizenship so i think on pakistan and on disasters uh, the book is um presenting a new way and a new framework uh, for for looking at uh, the state citizen relationship and um progressive ideas of citizenship okay uh for the last question i would also like to um thank you actually for joining us uh, today and uh, for this very insightful conversation in the end would you like to share with us uh, some of your current research interests or what is in the pipeline what should we expect maybe in the next couple of years sure so um i have been uh, since um this project i have been looking at um disasters and uh, you know the way that because i was looking at um the islamist movements that mobilized around the disaster um i have been doing some work looking at other um insurgent groups that have mobilized around disasters uh, not in south asia but in the context of the philippines and um also in uh, south america um and now um i am moving towards um trying to get a better understanding of uh the impact of disasters uh, on these issues of um social and political con- conflict uh in an urban context so the next work on pakistan that i am hoping to undertake is uh on karachi and looking at uh you know where you have particularly migrant settlements uh and uh, a case of very regular flooding uh what are the kinds of um uh, issues um uh, um mo- movements mobilizations etc that emerge in that context thanks a lot aisha it was wonderful uh, talking to you and uh, all the best for your current research and upcoming projects thank you very much ali for giving me an opportunity to talk about my work i really enjoyed it thanks a lot <laughs>